Hi. Can you tell me how to pronounce your name? Hi, Arlen. Of course. My name is Gosha. Gosha. Nice. I love that. And thank, thank you, you for jumping on so quickly um, this Sunday. It's Sunday afternoon. Uh, what city do you live in? It's Sunday afternoon in uh, Cal in Los Angeles. What what uh, city do you live in? I, I split my time between New York and Miami mostly. Okay, so East Coast, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I'll have to say that um, things are developing by the minute when it comes to Silicon Valley Bank. So actually right now we're still in limbo a little bit, although Yellen has said there's not going to be a government quote unquote bailout recently, but there's an auction going on right now. So by the time someone watches this, it's more, more, more likely that they're going to already have more answers than we have. Um, but what do you do? What is your position? What do you do? In general? Yes, in general. Uh, like your, yes. Your just to let people know why we're having the cop, like what your kind of expertise is. Sure. Um, so I'm a venture capitalist. I, I work for SoftBank, yeah. um, but I also have academic background related to systemic risk. And I spent a couple of years doing academic research uh, specifically around um, systemic risk and how you can try as a regulator uh, to make sure that the crisis similar to GFC doesn't happen again. Um, so for the first time in a long time, uh, this is actually somewhat useful. So I'm happy to share how things look like kind of from that perspective as well, um, as opposed to just looking at it as a venture investor. Yes, yes. Thank you. And I want to thank uh, Sequoia Taylor for recommending you um, to me. Um, that's so fascinating. Okay, so great. What can you tell us for the person who is just understanding about this? Because I'll tell you this, everybody on Twitter is talking about it. Everybody who has, you know, his bank obviously with SVB knows about it. But I was just around people at a conference uh, just mm -hmm. a few hours ago who are themselves in insurance, in accounting uh, for other businesses, and they did not know about this. They had not heard mm -hmm. about this yet. So if someone is watching this, which my audience might be someone who did not know what was going on, does not know, what can you say just in general happened? So we are we are in a situation where a bank, 16th largest bank in the States, um, experienced a run, um, which is not the first time a bank in history has experienced a run, but it was a pretty quick one. Uh, given that uh, I believe the, the stat is that about 25% of all of the deposits um, were tried to be run at or tried to be wired out of Silicon Valley Bank within uh, within 24 hours, which is quite a, quite an astonishing speed. And it kind of speaks to how quickly the world travels these days, probably much faster than any run on bank in, in, in history. Um, so right now we are in the situation where SVB um, has been taken over by, regula by regulators, by FDIC, uh, and they are over the weekend trying to figure out what to do with it. And there's a couple of options on the table. Um, FDIC is very well experienced in what they are doing in taking over banks that have essentially fallen. Um, so they know what they are doing, and there's a couple of scenarios on the table, uh, all of which are kind of seems like going in the direction of, of, of making sure that depositors get as much of their money back um, of the funds that are still um, within Silicon Valley Bank as possible. 
but it can of course go in a number of different directions. And I know that there is a lot of confusion as to um, you know, who might be getting bailed out and what bailout means and what will the government do and will it get sold? So we can kind of tackle yeah. tackle all of those issues if that's helpful. Yeah. Do you think it's irresponsible for people to call this a government bailout? Or do you think it's just, I mean, is it accurate? So we don't yet know what the government is going to do. Um, there is a couple of options, right? The first option, which has been already publicly announced, which FDIC is trying to use as a solution, uh, is to sell the bank as a whole uh, to someone else. And it's obviously unclear who that might be. It could be another bank, either regional bank or one of the big four banks. Um, it could be some sort of private investor, it could be maybe a private equity firm or consortium of those, it could be a foreign investor. Um, it, someone basically would buy the whole thing. Um, that's that's one of the options. The other option um, is some form of a bailout. Um, so public money being put to work um, to, to, to make sure that depositors get more than what has been insured, than the 250K that every depositor gets whenever a bank that's FDIC insured goes under. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the whole bailout scenario, there's a number of different scenarios that can be considered there. And they know that there's a lot of confusion as to what a bailout even means. In general, if some sort of funding from the public sources gets put into um, making depositors whole and the bank continues to operate in some fashion, that would be more of a bailout situation. There's also the alternative scenario in which the government would, what most people on Twitter call backstop, um, the deposits essentially put in money for whatever amount uh, cannot be covered by the existing assets that the bank has. Um, and then, so essentially you just sell it for parts and there is no SVB at the end of that process. Mm -hmm. That's that's another option. It's still kind of quasi bailout bailout like, um, but it's not, there's there's no SVB going forward in that in that scenario. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's, that's a really good distinction because we think about bailouts, bailouts from 20, uh, from 2008, and those most of those banks still exist. And that's why it feels, I think that's why it feels like you have some people saying, oh, you know, you're saving the rich people, you're saving them because they'll just still have their jobs and they they did something wrong and they'll still get to keep doing what they do. But there's a distinction between what it really is. Um and, and then yeah, so and it's and, and and sorry, sorry to jump into that, but it's also like Nobody is really, these people from the Silicon Valley are not calling for a bailout as in allowing the equity holders or even bondholders of Silicon Valley Bank to have any money left after this process yeah. is completed. But it might still be a viable option, which I know that the government doesn't want to do for whatever political verbal reasons, mm -hmm. but there could be an option in which the bank just gets bought for a dollar that's but right. whoever the buyer is, even if it's treasury, takes on the responsibility for all of the depositors, right? right. So, and that's and kind that of a bailout. Happen. That's more of a bailout because it's it, it still exists. It's more like an AI, quasi AIG situation, although shareholders did get some money at the end of the AIG process. So the distinction, and I think the most important thing for, for, for instance, founders watching this, the distinction mm -hmm. is one, we're talking about 
what happens with, yes, the shareholders who could be one of us uh, uh, or employees, which are 8,000 plus of them and the executives who are the ones that, you know, we're finding out if they're, if they're selling pieces off or whatever, and we're blaming that's mm -hmm. one piece of it, but the what I consider the most important piece, and what I think a lot of people consider the most important piece, is if you had a million dollars in Silicon Valley Bank because you raised that or you earned that in your company, and Monday comes around, can you get your million dollars, or are, are you only going to be able to get your two fifty or sixty percent on the dollar or sixty cents on the dollar? That is two separate things. And we're sort of asking the government or whomever to come in, the new buyer to come in and just take care of that part, guarantee that part. Because SVB, as far as I understand, they're not insolvent. They have the money there. It's just a matter of timing, right? Yes. Yeah. So so taking those, it's a lot to unpack here. So yeah. so let's maybe try to try to take this in turn. In terms of what happens on Monday, the most likely scenario, um, and I have no inside knowledge on this, but that's what it typically looks like and, and what has been more or less publicly announced, uh, is that folks who have deposits in Silicon Valley Bank should get access to their accounts with $250,000 in them. Everyone who had that number or above is going to get that number accessible. Uh, they should also get some portion of the remaining um, amount accessible possibly on Monday or maybe within the next couple of days, um, which should hopefully help folks may, may, make payroll. Mm -hmm. um, that's, the, that's, that's kind of one piece. And then with the rest of it, it will depend on how much in the most negative scenario, let's say, without governmental intervention. What is most likely is that folks will get back 50% plus probably between 50 and 80-ish percent of their money back over time. And it's not going to be immediate because the assets that the bank has need to get sold. Yeah. And they will probably be sold at a loss, which is where that difference is, is coming from. Mm. Is there a scenario where 100% of the money that everybody has goes back to them? Yes, uh, but that requires the governmental intervention most likely, or it requires finding a buyer who is not the government who will guarantee to give back 100%. So what I just said is the most negative scenario, I guess. Um, there is definitely, in my view, at this point, quite high likelihood that the depositors will be made whole. Um, that's what government seems to be implying. That's what Yellen effectively implied when she went on TV a couple hours ago. Uh, and I think that this is this is very likely. And the reason for it is folks are concerned um, that even though Silicon Valley Bank is not directly systemic, as in its ties to the rest of the uh, of the banking system are not super strong. It's still it's big, but it's not that big. And it's, you know, it mostly has liabilities towards it towards companies mm -hmm. as opposed to towards the rest of the banking sector. So it's not that directly connected. But what people are worried about is that the systemic risk might arise just from the fact that we just had a run on one bank. People might want to start running at other banks too. Yeah. Can we talk a little bit about, if, if I don't want to um, jump ahead, but can we talk a little bit about the run? And for anybody who wants, this is how I've been telling you, explaining it to people kind of simply, if you've ever watched 
Mary Poppins, the original Mary Poppins at the end, spoiler alert, 40 years later, um, the little boy wants his penny back from the older man who runs the, the bank and he yells that he won't give me my money back. And someone hears they're not giving their money out and everyone rushes, rushes towards the cashiers to get their money and pull their money. That's the vision that I had, the, it, the vision that I that was conjured is that there was talk of it being a problem at Silicon Valley Bank, which there were problems, but there was talk of it being, you're not gonna be able to get your money out and therefore caused this panic of, oh my God, they're not gonna give us our money, let's take it out, which then was a self, uh, what is it, fulfilling prophecy. Can we talk about mm -hmm. your take on it? Because you're, you're, you've studied risk management in banking did you see signs early? Do you think that there's there was a panic button push that should not have been pushed? Like, what is your general take on the run? So this is a very appropriate explanation of how it works. And, and when you look at the most basic like model as an economist of how bank runs come to be, that's essentially what it is. Um, there, there tends to be some trigger as to why a specific bank becomes a target of it. And then after the trigger, it becomes more of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. So in case of SVB, what people uncovered after they, well, some people saw it earlier, but in particular after, after they released um, their, 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 their annual report for, for the last year, what people noticed there is that some of their um, assets are particularly long, some of their assets are particularly long term. They bought, they essentially bought a lot of bonds, mm -hmm. uh, both mortgage backed securities, but also um, regular municipal treasury bonds with relatively long term to, to maturity, while their liabilities are short term. And this is very common for a bank. So when you think about the fundamental thing that a bank does, it takes money from some people and loans money to other people. That's the general idea. The money that comes in tends to be short term in many cases. A lot of it is just your checking account or your savings account. You can take the money out whenever you wish for a big portion. And that was the fact for, for Silicon Valley Bank. But the assets that it has tend to be longer term. In a standard bank, it would be your mortgages, right? If you sell a mortgage to someone, if I buy a house tomorrow, I'm not going to be able to pay it back to the bank whenever the bank wants me to, right? So there is this liquidity mismatch between your assets and your liabilities. In case of SVB, it didn't come from their loan book. It came from the, uh, from the bonds that they bought. But the mechanism is very similar. These are just longer term instruments that will get paid back after five or 10 years, but not immediate. Um, so there's that liquidity mismatch, which is normal. And what people noticed in the financial statements um, for the last year is that the bonds that Silicon Valley Bank had um, are now worth, worth less than what Silicon Valley Bank paid for them. And that's related Odd. to... Um, it isn't, it isn't really. I mean, you, it's it's... It's understandable when you think about the fact that these were instruments bought before the rate hikes. Mm -hmm. So the yield on them was pretty low. But now that the rates are so much higher, you would prefer to have stayed liquid and mm -hmm. you would prefer to be able to buy 
um, you know, higher yielding bonds today. So it's, it's 2020 hindsight vision. Yes, in, in a way. I mean, you could argue they should have known. It was kind of clear for a while that inflation is not going to be transitionary. That is going to, if, if it's not, then rates will go higher. So if it's not, then perhaps you shouldn't buy $90 billion of uh, bonds that obviously will, 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 will lose value mm. whenever um, rates go higher, but you are obliged to keep them on your books for a long time. So it was a, an error, um, definitely on SVB's side, but it doesn't seem in any way fraudulent or anything like that. Right. Feels right. like just an error of judgment. Um, but when people notice that, and then when Silicon Valley Bank, on top of it, started selling some of those bonds um, in early March and released information about this, which they, again, have to do, people were like, well, they are selling those at a loss. They still have much more of them, which are also effectively at loss. So things are not great. Maybe we should be prudent and take the money out. And once mm. some people start doing that and talking about it, it turns exactly into the, the Mary Poppins analogy that, that yeah. you used. Do you, and you can feel free not to answer this because it is pretty um, polarizing, but do you think that there are any people to blame in the acceleration of the panic? I mean, this is, a, as a venture investor, putting back on my, my venture hat, you are in a, in a tough spot when you realize that this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, because on one hand, you don't want yourself and you don't want your founders, most of all, to be the people who are last to take their money out during a, a run on the bank. But at the same time, you realize that if everyone does what you think your founders should do, then the bank is screwed, right? And there is no regulation probably that could have prevented that from happening. The run of that size would probably kill any, any institution. Mm -hmm. um, so you are in this very weird spot of like, what do you even advise people to do? But your duty is much more towards your founders than it is even towards a great ecosystem partner that's been established for 40 years. And of course, it would be much better for everyone if Silicon Valley Bank stayed intact. But on the individual level, just from pure game theory standpoint, right? It's better if your founders get out quickly, assuming everyone else will be getting out. So it's it's just, you know, it's really game theory. Yeah, it is. A, it, I found myself in the position because I was talking to, we at Backstage Capital, we have 200 plus portfolio companies, 85% mm -hmm. are active still or so. And I, we're still putting the numbers together of how many people bank with SVB, but I was one of the first of their investors to put out a statement up to them. And mm -hmm. in that moment, I had to think, I do not want to cause more panic. That is, that is not what any founder needs right now. They need like a fair and balanced look at what's going on. And then the idea to do something, to act in some way, even if it's just to wait, but to be aware. But then you, in the back of my mind, I think if everybody else is not doing this, then there will be a run in the bank. And then the people in our case, under mostly underrepresented, underestimated founders 
who are even more systemically challenged than others are going mm -hmm. to be the ones who pay the price along with the other in the wash. So, you know, I when I get a message that says we're okay because we took our money out or I get I see it tweeted, I feel something two things immediately at once, which is I'm so glad they got their money out. And the other thing is it's because so many of them got their money out that this happened. Mm -hmm. So is there any any um, solace or uh, comfort that can be gleaned in this moment for founders? Uh, I mean, for the for the ones that managed to get out um, or who perhaps, you know, hadn't banked with SVB in the first place, I'm sure it's a lot of relief. Mm. Um, for the people who still have some or, or a lot of their capital tied out, and it is true for some of my portfolio companies too, um, I think that the, first of all, most likely, no matter what happens, a very meaningful portion of that capital is going to come back. So any problems that the founders are facing right now, and I, I know it's incredibly stressful, risk of not making payroll, risk of not paying your vendors, like it's, it's insane level of stress. It is most likely a mostly temporary problem. There is still a scenario in which not all of the money comes back to you, but it will still be at least a meaningful portion. I'm, I'm pretty confident about this, just looking at SVB's balance sheet. Like those assets that they have are worth a lot. And even if they need to be sold on a fire sale, they are worth a lot. It's an organized process that money is going to come back. Yeah. What is more likely is that the entire amount is going to come back because it will get solved at the, at the federal level. Um, in fact, you know, all of that panic that kind of came up on Twitter over the last couple of days, really since Thursday, um, I think it did eventually transpire to, to, to the Fed, to FDIC, to the Treasury Secretary, et cetera. And those people do realize that there is potentially systemic problems brewing, even though, again, as we said, um, SVB in it, in, on its own is not really that systemic. But the the way that information travels right now might lead to incremental runs um, on banks. So they should do something. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day, really the best scenario, in my opinion, is for someone to buy it. And that would be the best scenario for, for, for the Valley and for founders outside of the Valley as well, um, because that way the institution that knows how to serve you can in some shape or form survive. And that would be right. the best outcome for everyone. So I do want to talk about that. Do you have a moment to talk yeah, about sure. more things? So it's almost 3 p.m. on Sunday Pacific time. So right now while we're talking, they could have announced that there's you know a buyer we should probably check. But let's say a Bank of America, for instance, uh, comes in and they've invested, disclosure, they've invested in backstage capital as an LP in the past. Let's say they come in, for instance, and they buy it. Are you? I just want to make sure I'm understanding what you just said. Is are you saying that in that scenario, if they decide to Silicon Valley Bank as we knew it could kind of come back in its own way, or be or the the pieces of the employees, for instance, they could stay on, and the pieces that we that we got used to and really appreciated could still be there, even if in, in a slightly different form. So that depends on what 
whatever the new buyer wants to do yeah. and frankly what the new buyer negotiates with the with the government that's running that process uh -huh. um and um i would hope that whomever if, if bank of america say buys it it's probably not just because they want to save the institution no, and no. do the right thing by 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 depositors but yeah. you know the the we're talking about thousands of accounts of companies who really drive innovation in this country and globally. This is an incredibly valuable asset, just those relationships are. Um, and it's it's been a good business. I mean, they screwed up risk management, but it is inherently a good business. Their losses have been low on whatever, whatever loans they have had in the past. They have been able to really establish themselves as, as the premier institution to, to, to bank with if you are an innovation economy player. Mm -hmm. It's incredibly valuable. And these are the companies that are growing, like startups in your portfolio and in mine are growing really quickly, are becoming great companies. Um, so establishing relationships with them is, is just valuable. Mm -hmm. um, so I would hope that the buyer wants to keep that, right? And, yeah. and it's it can come in different ways. It can be kept as a separate entity. It can become in, integrated with the uh, with the core business. That's mostly up to the buyer, whomever they might be. Yeah. Uh, but I would hope that the products that SVB developed um, would stay. There's no reason for them to be gone unless the buyer explicitly decides that they are unprofitable and wants them gone. Yeah. I mean, just as a complete layman to this, I feel like the whoever buys it if they do should keep svb as close to the original version as possible because it did stand out before thursday silicon valley bank stood out head and shoulders above other banks when it came to being founder friendly and so and we, since we do drive so much innovation in the country and around the world um it, it was important you know people have selective uh memory now and they can say i told you so but the truth is so many of us benefited from silicon silicon valley bank existing and mm -hmm. it'd be really great and also you don't necessarily want to reinvent the wheel if you're bank of america or jp morgan you, you kind of want to let them do their thing this is again my opinion and i'll speak for myself um and then can you there's two last pieces i want to ask you if you do have the time so one is i want to i want to talk about like your role or your your uh, history in risk management it sounds like if you were there or someone who you know you you respected was there at silicon valley bank the day they decided to invest 90 billion into something it seems like it wouldn't have happened necessarily because it doesn't seem from what you said earlier that it's it was the most uh, sage thing to do do did you question that like who was in the room when this decision was made that's the first, and then there's the second part. It's very hard for me to tell who was in the room. It's also very easy for, for us to say now, oh, it was obvious you shouldn't have done that trade. Um, so I, I, I don't want to necessarily, you know, throw, throw, throw shade at whomever took those decisions because it's always easier to, to talk about this now. Um, you know, there were, in reality, like during the COVID the depths of the COVID crisis, there was communication from the Fed and expectations that zero interest rates environment would continue, right? Um, at the same time, you can argue that there are, I saw it somewhere, someone uncovered 
all the interviews by Jamie Dimon when he was saying, I am not buying long-term bonds mm -hmm. because I don't believe that inflation is transitory. Mm -hmm. um, so people took different kind of sides of that view and, and ultimately the, the side that was taken by SVB was the more risky one, right? Because they, they went for the yields, for the slightly higher yield on long-term bonds than they would have had on short-term bonds, mm -hmm. which would have kept them safer. Mm -hmm. um, but again, like it's, yeah, I would. I wouldn't dare to say I wouldn't have taken that decision, right? Because I don't know what I would have. Done. You don't know because what you just said was like, it sounds like there could have been a forty to sixty percent chance that we could be having a different conversation, and you know, with the butterfly effect, that it did do well, and they would be looked at as geniuses for having, you know, brought in more uh, uh, profit uh, today. It's yeah, just, it went the other way, and it can. The point is, it can be argued both ways. And I love that you say that you're not going to um, act like you know exactly what you would have done in the same situation. Because here's the thing, that's a rare take. Most people <laughs> on Twitter are saying what, what they would have done, what they should have done, who this, that, and the other. And the point, the answer, and the reality is we don't know. For yeah. the, the second part and the final part I want to talk to you about, and I thank you so, so, so much for this. This is going to help so many people. I hope you know. Sure. The, the, the last part is just kind of how we would end any interview um, <clears throat> is is what happens next. Like um, as far as what should founders be doing? The biggest thing that I've been taking in, you know, from every source I can is that we should, no matter what happens next, be diversifying our bank accounts. Is that realistic if you have five million dollars should you have 20 accounts that have 250k in them should you be going to the brexits of the world and the mercuries even though they're backed by some of these institutions like do you know what 80 percent of us should be doing as founders so so first of all it's kind of crazy to assume that what a founder in particular of an early stage company should be doing it when they raise their seed round of $5 million is to open 20 bank accounts, right? Like the, that's that's not practical. Maybe there's that's a startup right. opportunity in this, you know, maybe someone should like do yeah. that for you. It always is. You know, what those sweep accounts kind of are doing, right? Mm -hmm. Essentially, right? Like you're kind of FDIC insured for a higher number than, than FDIC insures mm -hmm. for. Um, but but in itself, that, that, would be, that would be kind of crazy. I mean, look, there is... And I hate to be saying this because this is exactly those sorts of things that create more systemic risk eventually in the system. Um, when you know more and more folks say, "Well, screw the smaller banks, I'm going to you know go for the big four. Mm -hmm. um, it is still probably not a terrible idea to just have that account out there in one of the big four just in case. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so 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 that that's not a terrible idea. The second, the second piece is, you know, there, there are certain ways to manage your treasury outside of just keeping the money in the bank. You know, individuals and, and, and companies, I believe, as well, can just buy, say, treasury bonds directly. Mm -hmm. um, that way you don't have the, the risk of the intermediary. Um, so that's something that if someone has more money and wants that, you know, ballpark 5% directly from the treasury, you can do that. That's an option. Um, but other than that, I, I honestly, I don't really have any great advice besides let's, start, let's try to wait. Let's try not to panic. Again, 
from the communication that I have seen from the government, it seems that they are aware of the of the potential kind of contagion spreading through psychological means, really, because again, it doesn't spread directly, but it spreads psychologically. Um, so, so they should put a stop to that, and I am hopeful that they will, uh, in some way or another. Yeah. Okay. And we have the next few hours to see what happens to, and and I think that it's a responsibility for those watching who are venture capitalists like myself, who are have any sort of influence leadership, to no matter what you're advising, to advise it in a way where you're not just. And I'm not trying to preach. I mean, not to preach to you, but to. It's so it goes a long way to say things in a way where you say, this is what I believe. Here are uh, here are two other options for you to look at, right? To just have a fair and balanced look at things because founders are scared and they're they're worried and they don't have to be as worried as they are. Um, now, of course, I'm being a little bit polite because uh, Gosia. Yeah, Gosia's here. I'm being <laughs> a little polite. <laughs> usually I'm cussing people out on Twitter but let us just be as calm as we can and take the next few hours the next few days and look for the helpers as they say look for the helpers and become a helper become a helper okay thank you so much anything else that you wanted to get across that I didn't ask you about no I I, I think we're good one last one last piece I would say and I'm sure that founders are already doing it but over communication with your investors is very important right now, especially if you need help. Um, I'm sure a lot of folks have seen it. There's a lot of us trying to help in any way we can um, through money, through advice, through support. So um, so seek out those people. Um, there is definitely given, you know, what this crisis really looks like and how unexpected it is for all of us. Um, there's people out there trying to help. So so also from that standpoint, don't panic, seek help. Mm. And don't be too worried because it shouldn't be, like, you're not going to lose all of your money and you're not going to lose all of your money beyond the 250K that's insured. It's yeah. it's going to be fine. But there are people out there who are, who are helping and, 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 and seek, seek us out. Yes. Thank you so much. I really appreciate of it. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Um...